1863, Henry Longfellow penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail and right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Henry Waldsworth Longfellow was writing about listening to Christmas bells during the American Civil War and what that felt like to be in a time of, of war and to be in a time of Christmas. And while we may not feel like we are in a time of war right now, we, we live in a time of despair still often in our lives. And, and while Christmas is that time of joy and we hear the, the carol, you know, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, you know, and it's an exciting and an uplifting time. There are so many people that go through this time of, of sorrow and depression and, and all of these other emotions at Christmas. And, and I'm not trying to start our worship time in a, in a somber sense. I just want to draw your attention to the reality of the season and the complexities that it brings into our lives. but most importantly to the hope that it brings. Hear these words from the Gospel of John. So the Word became human. This is the good news. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Friends, we've come into this place on the Sunday before we celebrate the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a wonderful day. The sun is shining. Even though we are living in trying times, we live in a, in a culture that is trying to us sometimes, and we have people in our life at Christmas time that are trying. As Longfellow said, God is still there. He doth not sleep. And we will have peace on earth, and there will be goodwill if there's goodwill between men and women and all of us together as God's people. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here to worship and celebrate and to be together as the body of Christ. In the opening words of the Old Testament book of Genesis, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was formless and, and empty, and darkness covered the waters of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, and everyone said, let there be light. And there was light. At creation, there was only darkness. And then God spoke, let there be light, and light was born. And centuries later, that word of God and that light of God became flesh in the person of Jesus. And that is what we're celebrating this season right now. And for the last couple of years, my family has been watching this TV show to help get, in, get us in the mood for the season. It's called The Great Christmas Light Fight. Does anybody else? No? Okay, a couple. All right. My people. Reality TV, I tell you. Greatest God's gift to America, I tell you. That's sarcasm. Don't write that down. That does not need to go in your message notes this morning. Um, my kids are fascinated with the show, though, because so this, the film crew goes around to these contestants and these families or these communities, and they, they, they go through barns and houses and garage and storage units and, that are just chocked full of decorations. It's like hoarders buried alive, both decorations. And they pull all of them out, and they do these immaculate displays and then on this dark evening, the, the community, whole community gathers around to, to light up the property, and the hosts roll in in a limo with Santa Claus, either on top or driving, and, and to, to, to flip the switch to turn on the whole display. And then, ooh, ah, and then they take this little tour through. But the whole point is they're competing, and it's usually three houses, sometimes four, that are competing against each other in each, in each show, and then who has the greatest display? And they're... they're um, judged on you know three criteria it's like most greatest display the bestest display and the most Christmas spirit I don't know it's, it's so subjective that you're like no they should have won no they should have won and but the winner gets uh, $50,000 which is about a fraction of the cost of some of those displays I mean these people spend a ton of money on this stuff is it extreme oh yeah it's extreme. Is it, is it entertaining and fun to watch? I think so, most definitely. I think it's pretty entertaining. You bet. Does it help shine God's light into the darkness of our lives? No, <laughs> not at all. Not in the least bit. And even with all of the shiny Christmas lights, the burning candles, and the amazing computer-generated light displays with Trans-Siberian Orchestra playing in the background, we can miss the, the comfort and the peace and the joy that God's life is, light is supposed to bring into our lives. And this is why we need to just, just slow down as we've been talking about each Sunday this month, just, just slowing down and be more intentional about looking for Jesus, especially in this season of light. As we've heard these last few weeks, most people in the first century missed the birth of Jesus because they were either too busy to notice or they were too familiar with the story of the coming Messiah that they failed to give it any thought. And many people had lost hope that the Savior would even come to free them. And so while there were signs and songs all around them, put that in modern context, 
There were nativity scenes on every corner and Christmas lights with stars and Christendoms and, and, and candles burning. But people still missed the signs. They missed the light that continues to light the darkness. The people of Jesus' day were living in the darkness of, of fear, of fatigue, and of failure. And they lived in, in the darkness of despair and division and death. They, they lived in the darkness of unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams, which honestly sounds an awful lot like our world today, if you ask me, which you didn't, so I'll just assume that you were going to. And God sent his son into the world, and they missed it. They missed it. There are many people in our world today still living in darkness and fear and fatigue and failure, and, and we still live in a world where there is darkness and despair and division and death, and we still live in the darkness of unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams, but we don't have to. We don't have to live in that world because we don't have to miss the light of God. We can open our eyes and our hearts to receive the gift of Christ, who is the very light of God's word. Which leads us to the beginning of John's Gospel. So picking up in John 1.1. No, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and in life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who, will, who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. In the Greek, His home among us actually translates better into tabernacled or tented in reference to when the Jews were traveling in tents, that God goes wherever we go. So it would be better, he made his tent with us. That's how I translated it way back when. He tented with us, if you're a backpacker camper. If not, he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's Son, the Father's one and only Son. And so there, there are two images that John uses here that are, that are tied inexplicably together. There's, there's the Word of God and there's the light of God. It's repeated over and over. And, and we need to understand, we need to understand is that it is God's Word that brings forth light and life. In the darkness, 
In Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that light brought life into the world. And so generations later, that word became flesh and blood in Jesus. And so through Jesus, we not only have the word of God, but a light that brings us life. So God's light and word are here for us today. And our challenge, the challenge that we face, is just not to miss it. See, the word of God that brings light into our darkness includes all of the promises in Scripture. And while most people miss out on, on these when they miss Jesus being born, there, there's a handful who don't. And if we don't miss it, then, then we can experience the fullness of God's promise, and that, that promise brings confidence into the darkness of uncertainty. I don't know if you know this or not, but life is fragile. It is. It really is. Life is fragile, and it's uncertain. Whether it's our health, our jobs, our finances, our relationships, we don't always know what tomorrow is going to bring. We all know people, or even ourselves, who've just felt fine and then all of a sudden get a new diagnosis. Or people who go into work one day only to find out that the business is being sold and their job is being phased out. And while some years have been really good for the stock market, we also remember that there are many years that the market just drops out and our retirement plans suddenly change. Every facet of life has its uncertainties, but into this uncertainty, God makes, God makes promises to us. So if you're taking notes this morning on, on the message notes, the first promise we receive in Jesus is confident Confidence that helps us face the future unafraid. Confidence that helps us face the future unafraid. This confidence doesn't come from a promise that everything in life will stay stable and strong. I wish it did. That would be great. I wish I could be that guy who sat up here and said, hey, believe in God and everything's going to be perfect. No problems in life. Just send in a check for $12.99 plus shipping and handling. <laughs> Our confidence comes from knowing that whatever, whatever we go through in life, whatever we go through in life, we don't go through it alone. God's with us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, we're reminded of this promise. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Christ. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. That was in the temple, the Holy of Holies, meaning we have access to God. And since we have a great high priest who rules, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I know that sounds kind of gross. I get it. But the illustration and, and what's, what, what the author is trying to convey is that because of Christ, because of his death, because of what he did, we don't need that mediator, that person in between us, to get us to God. We can go right to God because God goes with us no matter what, no matter what we're going through. And the author goes on, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return draws near. See, Jesus gives us confidence because it is through him that we are connected to God. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what happens, we do not need to be afraid. The story of Jesus' birth in the gospel reminds us that Joseph didn't miss that fact either. Joseph was in a pretty dark place when he first heard that Mary was pregnant, and there was considerable uncertainty about the situation and what he should do. He was a faithful Jew, and so the law said he should punish Mary. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that's the way it was back then. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. Be mad at the authors of the Bible if you want. Take it up with them. But in love, in love, Joseph didn't want to hurt or shame his wife to be, his betrothed. And so he faced an uncertain future because he was a faithful Jew. And into that darkness, God spoke. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Be confident, Joseph. Know that what is taking place is the work of God. And Joseph took hold of that promise. And in the light of God's and the light of God just pierced into his darkness, his personal darkness, and gave him the ability to, to just move forward, to walk forward into it. What I love about this passage from Hebrews is that while it tells us that we can find confidence and courage in our relationship with God, it also says that we can experience the presence of God in the life of the church. I don't know about you, in my life and experience of the church, there have been times when I didn't necessarily believe that I felt the presence of God in church. I know that's not your experience here because everything is always Pollyanna perfect in church, right? I'm glad you didn't laugh. <laughs> even the awkward silence where it's like, oh, I can't. Re I don't even know how to respond to that. It's so true, but it's not. But it is. But it's not. But I can't. Okay, just don't make eye contact. It's like when the teacher says, "I need a volunteer," in middle school, and you're an awkward teenager, and you're like, "Just don't make eye contact." <laughs> when it's hard to draw confidence, it's hard to draw confidence when we're alone. It's hard to draw confidence from God when we're alone. So we can, when we turn to the people of God around us for, for power in that confidence, it, it works out. The confidence in our faith and courage in life is a gift that we receive from others if we will continue to stay connected and not neglect our meeting together. This is why worship and service in small groups are so important. Being together is not primarily about what's in it for me. It's about an opportunity to encourage each other. The second promise we receive from Jesus is strength in the dark, darkness of weakness. Mary didn't miss this promise. And when Mary was told that she was going to be a mother of the Messiah, she asks, how can this be? Mary was young. She didn't feel like she was a strong woman. How was she going to do what God was asking her to do? How? 
So have you ever faced a situation and asked yourself something like that? How am I supposed to do this? How can this be? How can I possibly do this? I don't have what it takes. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the faith. When we experience this kind of darkness, we need to remember that God promises to be our strength. The Apostle Paul struggled with some weaknesses in his own life. He, he called it a thorn in his flesh. And he asked God to take it away. But God ans- God's answer wasn't to take the problem away at all, if you've read any of Paul's letters. Instead, his answer was just to be Paul's strength in his moments of weakness to be Paul's light in his darkness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. God's grace is what makes us strong when we are weak. God's grace is what held Mary together and helped her do what she thought was impossible. The story of God is always the story of God's power being seen in those who are weak. Look at Abraham, look at Ruth, David, Mary, Joseph, Paul. They were all people who didn't have what it took. They didn't have what it takes to accomplish God's plan on their own. And each lived in their darkness and had to ask God to be their light and their their strength. And Jesus came to be the light in our darkness and the strength in our weakness. And he came to help us do more than we thought was ever possible. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And when we get to that place where we feel like we're in over our heads, that is the very moment where we need to remember the promise that God is with us to be our strength. And so the third promise of God that brings light into the, into the goodness of God, of the goodness of God into the darkness of sin brokenness, and evil. The third promise of God brings light is the goodness of God in the darkness of sin, brokenness, and evil. The shepherds didn't miss the truth. They were, they were living in the darkness of brokenness and sin. They were often separated. Shepherds were, were separated from others and lived in isolation and alone out in the fields at night in the darkness. But the light of God appeared and shone around them, and it literally brought them the good news of great joy. And the good news of God came to them first and told them that sin and brokenness and evil were going to be defeated in Christ, and that His light would bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men and women. The shepherds didn't just experience this light and goodness in Jesus. They shared it. After they saw the child, Jesus, Luke tells us in Luke 2.20, the shepherds went back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. See, they were now the light of God's goodness in the darkness of the world. And God calls us to be his light as well. Jesus said that you are the light of the world. The church. He calls the church the light of the world. Do you know what that means? You know what that means? You, me, we, all y'all, as we used to say out west, all y'all, we all, all y'all, we are the church. That means we are called to be the light of goodness in the world, in the face of evil. 
The Bible says that we are the aroma of Christ. And if you don't understand and conceptualize the word aroma, I encourage you to stand next to my 10-year-old after he gets home from school. He has an aroma. But to be an aroma of Christ, something that you can tangibly feel in a positive way. The image of goodness in the world of evil, the virtue of the church is a reflection of the light of God and is a reminder of the promise God makes to be with us. And I'm thankful. I am thankful for all of the ways that the Redeemer Church has been a light of the goodness throughout this year. We, as a church, have been a light of goodness throughout the year to new believers in the Ukraine, to the students and Air Force personnel, airmen in Germany. We have been a light to people afflicted by and affected by hurricanes and floods and earthquakes by providing blankets through church world services. We've been a light to those who are hungry and hurting in our community through our food pantry and through the Weekender Backpack program. We've been a light to new mothers through our baby blessing ministry and to our residents in the greater Pittsburgh area through our work teams this past summer. In many ways, the light of Christ has gone out from this congregation to dispel darkness in so many different ways. In our offering this Christmas, we will be a light to those who experience who experienced Christ at Wesley Woods Camp, to Safe Center here in town. We'll also go to a snack program in our local schools here in Clinton County. We are a light shining in the darkness, and you are a part of sharing this promise of God's goodness. And as we share it, we ought to also experience it. So don't miss what God is doing in you and through us. Don't miss being a part of the light that shines in the darkness. So the fourth and final promise we're going to talk about has to do with an actual light that appeared in the sky. It was the light of God that gave people direction in their confusion. See, when Jesus was born, a star gave guiding, guidance in the darkness of uncertainty, and the Magi from the east literally followed this light in the sky, this light of a star to Israel. And when they went to Jerusalem to find the king, assuming the king would be there, the light eventually led them to Bethlehem and then to the very place where Jesus was living. And the star is a reminder that God's word still guides us in life. Psalm 119.105 says this about God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet right, and a light unto my path. God's word is what illuminates our path and can guide us through the confusion of our life. And so as we enter into this new year, with all of its challenges and uncertainties, we need to read and reflect on God's Word now more than ever. And I challenge you to do so. Make this a promise to yourself to allow God's light to shine into the darkness of your life and give you direction. In Jesus, we have the light of God's Word, which is full of promises, and in Christ there is there is the promise of confidence, of strength and goodness. And in Jesus, there is a light that gives direction to our life. And these are all gifts given to us. But they're of no good use unless we use them. It's kind of like a gift card that goes unspent. Have any of you gotten a gift card and never used it? 
and just like kind of thrown it away or like used part of it and had like a little bit left over and just kind of disappeared. You know, it's estimated that about a billion dollars a year gets thrown away in unused gift cards. God's gift of life and God's promises are kind of like that. We have them. These promises are for us to use. They bring us light and hope and power in our lives, but too often we forget them or we discard them and we never receive the gift that they offer us. We miss the light of God's promise and live, continue to live in the darkness. And my prayer for you this year is that you don't miss the light, that you don't miss it this year. Don't miss all the promises God has given us in his word and in the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless each and every one of us who is here and those who are not, Lord, through this season and through this week as we celebrate the coming of your Son. Lord, shine your light into our lives. Let us be your people. Let us be your church. A city on a hill, a light that shines in the, dark, in the darkness. Let us not cover our lights with anything, but let us be influencers in the world that people would see us and see your light reflected off of us into the world. Continue to work in the way that only you do and let your miracle come. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said,